0: This Week in Oklahoma Politics on KOSU is sponsored by the State Chamber of Oklahoma.
1: For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel. Governor Stitt announces a new plan to get people to work. On June 26th, Stitt plans to remove Oklahoma from the additional federal unemployment plan, giving $300 a week to jobless Oklahomans, but also offering a $1,200 incentive for people who find and keep a job. Ryan, what do you think of the governor's plan?
2: Well, I don't think it's going to work. It's built on this myth that people aren't going back to work because the unemployment benefits that they're receiving that were additional uh, as a result of COVID and, and federal relief funds that came in to increase this uh, this unemployment benefit, $300 a month that folks are receiving, there's this myth that that's keeping people from going back to the workforce. And that's just simply not true. Study after study after study shows that that's just not the reason. I mean, there, there are some folks out there that, that are receiving more and, and are choosing not to go back to work, but that's not the driving factor. I mean, we have one of the lowest unemployment rates in the nation right now. Uh, you know, we're also seeing record number of jobs that are being listed. So whenever you have more job openings, it's harder to fill those jobs. It just you know That's just the way it is. Uh, and then it also kind of works on this, this idea that I think is, is really one that shouldn't have any role at all in our conversation about workforce development. And that's this idea of induced desperation. Um, you know, the idea that the chamber of commerce is pushing out there that people are, are living, uh, you know, uh, fat on the land with this $300 uh, stipend uh, that they're getting. That's just not the case. One in three uh, American families that are receiving that are still you know going without basic necessities. And so, what we're really seeing is you know, people looking back at their time in COVID and saying, well, if we're going to go back to these jobs, um, it's not that I don't want to go to work, it's that I don't want to go to work in these awful, difficult jobs and these difficult environments where oftentimes you don't even get to plan for things like childcare or healthcare uh, and, and you're working for low wages. Um, and you know, these are the people that we called heroes. You know, these were the essential workers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, really, what we wanted, really what we need, need to do is walk away from this idea that we Need to increase desperation so that the American work, the American employers can exploit workers and really look at things like raising the minimum wage, making it easier for people to get childcare and training. Uh, you know, one side effect of this is that it's taking people out. It's going to take some people out of training programs like electrical service a- apprentice programs. We need electricians in Oklahoma, there are 23 folks in in an apprentice program right now that may not be able to complete that if they lose this $300, so it could be counterproductive in the end.
0: Neva? Well, I don't think it'll be counterproductive, and I think uh, the idea that it's a myth that this is a major problem, I mean, it's not just uh, the state chamber and others that are uh, uh, advocating this, but when you really look at the numbers, I mean, they tell the story. I mean, since last March, we have had more than 1 million uh, unemployment claims uh, here in Oklahoma and when you look at the payout i mean Oklahoma has paid out 5 billion that's billion with a b in unemployment uh, which is more than we've done the last decade the last 10 years so i mean these numbers are staggering when you look at what's uh, uh, what's in at, really at play here is the folks that uh, many many feel um, are using the extra uh, incentive that they've had uh, as as something frankly for them to stay home and many would suggest that it's a case of they may be making more money staying at home than going back into the worst workforce so I think the plan to incentivize folks back in at least for the first 20,000 that are approved applicants uh, has to stimulate uh, the economy and the workforce and all of the issues that you're talking about Ryan in terms of uh, you know of uh, better paying jobs uh, more access to uh, uh, workforce development education those things those are all part of the, the larger equation but in terms of what we're talking about right now this is a plan that should move forward and hopefully uh, we'll have the intended results
1: if we're talking about somebody getting making more money with an extra $300 and they would if they get back to work isn't that part of the problem that we I mean if they're making more with $300 a week than they would if they went back to a minimum wage body-paying job.
0: Well, but uh, we can't uh, sustain this forever. I mean, uh, what uh, was done during the pandemic, the things that were were, uh, implemented uh, at the federal level, the state level, to be sure that folks uh, were taken care of, that were not able to work, um, those things were important. But uh, to now have uh, uh, many jobs, I mean, tens of thousands of jobs open in, in the workplace in Oklahoma and to have folks not uh, making application, not making an effort to become employed again, gainfully employed, uh, I think that's the, the larger question that we're looking at.
2: Well, and we've, we've got this accidental labor movement. I mean, I think it's, you know, we, with, with organized labor at, at some of its lowest power in, in its history, I mean, we're looking at you know, a, a minimum wage that's you know, a generation or two behind where it really needs to be. And so, you know, if if it's not really a problem with the employees, it's a problem with the employers. And if if employers want to, if we've got, you know, just a huge number of unfilled uh, jobs in these low-income jobs, the better thing to do is to make those jobs more attractive and i think we're seeing that i mean we're seeing uh, fast food chains increasing you know starting salaries to 12 or starting wages to 12 15 an hour and guess what you know my big mac still costs the same
0: well and and let's let's remember the number, Macs, the number the we're talking about we're talking about 90,000 folks uh, that uh, that are kind of the, the the group that we're talking about in this conversation and when we talk about 20,000 of those being able to go get a get a job, get the $1,200 uh, incentive uh, to uh, get back into the workforce and stay. I mean, that has to be a win-win for Oklahoma across the board. As we alluded
1: to last week, state legislative leaders and the governor have unveiled a budget for the 2022 fiscal year starting July 1st. The $8.3 billion budget includes cutting the top personal income tax rate from 5% to 4.75% with the corporate income tax dropping from 6% to 4%. It also increases agency budgets by an average of 7%. Neva, what do you think of this budget?
0: Well, I think I think they struck a good deal with the budget. I mean, I think when you look at the overall, it was a win down the, you know, kind of down the, the list as you look at it. I mean, certainly education, when you look at the fact that they got uh, a, a, a record amount, uh, 3.2 billion uh, out, of, out of the budget, uh, and some other things that came out of that, uh, such as uh, uh, class size reductions in kindergarten and first grade, uh, the uh, funding equity uh restoration of the pandemic reductions that they had already uh, um, that they already had incurred. Uh, The tax relief certainly something and that's something that this week uh, we've seen back and forth tax uh, the uh, tax cuts and the opportunity scholarship kind of being the the back and forth between the house and senate on making sure that both sides uh, came uh, came across and and were able to get both of those to the finish line but when you look at so many other things in terms of economic development I mean the uh, the record amount the 42 million for broadband which is I mean oftentimes we talk about it being a a rural um, just a uh, something that is uh, advantageous for the rural uh, communities but it's really across the board because as as many have talked about in the metropolitan areas I mean we are we're at a saturation point so broadband uh, expansion very critical Uh, and I think you have um, you know many other areas where you where you Uh, can uh, point to in this budget including the fact that there's savings in the budget. They didn't spend every nickel that they had uh, uh, at their disposal and by allowing for um, money to go back in uh, to the uh, rainy day fund and and the other funds we now have a billion dollar uh, surplus in those accounts. Some would like to spend all of that but the more prudent business approach would be to fund all of the essential programs uh, to see n- no state agency with cuts uh, across the board and to, uh, and to see many additional things that are very uh, important not only in rural Oklahoma but in the metropolitan areas as well.
2: Right. You know, what a difference a year makes. Uh, yeah. you, you know, last year at this time you know, when we were talking about a budget, the governor wasn't in the room, uh, or at least he says he wasn't in the room. He says he was totally cut out of the budget negotiations last year. The Le- legislative leaders were announcing the budget deal and the governor vetoed the bu- uh, budget, and then the legislature came back and immediately overrode him. And so, you know, now you've got a budget deal where legislative leaders and the governor are in the room, and everybody's, you know, singing kumbaya, and, and they're, you know, they're they're all happy with one another, at least, you know, in, in public, right? I mean, that's that's a huge difference. Um, I, I think that, you know, if, if you have to pick winners out of this, you know, at least the political dynamic letters, uh, uh, winners out of this. Speaker Charles McCall, uh, you know, at the beginning of the legislative session talking about, you know, corporate tax cuts, personal income tax cuts, the Senate you know, was pretty reluctant uh, early on. They, they said, we're we're not really looking at tax cuts this year. Uh, and, you know, the speaker didn't get what he wanted, which was the total elimination of the corporate uh, tax cut or t- uh, the corporate tax. But he got you know, a pretty significant reduction, and they're, they're doing that and the personal income tax cut in a way that will make it really hard to raise those in the future. I mean, you, with state question uh, 640, you're gonna have to have a super majority in the legislature or a state question to over uh, to increase that tax rate. So that's, that's a big win for, for Speaker McCall. I think that the, um, the investments in, in core services are incredibly important, um, and, and that, is, uh, that is a good sign. But also, we are still well underfunded of where you know if you if you look at adjustments for population um, and, and, and need in oklahoma we're still double digit below where we were a decade or so ago in terms of appropriations for state services and we still see critical needs in in, uh, in investment infrastructure mental health uh, health care education, even though these are these are great numbers, we have a long ways to go and to think that we're giving you know hundreds of millions of dollars uh, to tax cuts that are you know, uh, overwhelmingly going to favor uh, or benefit uh, upper income Oklahomans. You know, that, that to me is a, is a missed opportunity for the legislature because, again, we're not gonna get that money back. And we've seen, you know, every time it's like, we're gonna, we're gonna cut these taxes, especially when we talk about income taxes, corporate tax, we're gonna cut these taxes, and it's gonna you know generate economic uh, uh, activity in the state. There's no correlation between that. We've never seen that. So we give this benefit to folks, we don't get a return on that investment, In the meantime, services still need more money. Even though this is good for them, they still need more. Well, okay. Go
0: ahead. Well, I mean, when you talk about taxes, though, I mean, it's it's important to note that we are now in the top ten in terms of uh, the lowest corporate and personal income taxes uh, that in states that levy these taxes. So that's an important uh, that is an important uh, point, and it's something that can be parlayed in terms of uh, all of the things that were done on the economic development side. And there were many things uh, in the in the uh, budget that allow for a much more aggressive effort to Uh, to, again, compete, bring in, and incentivize uh, and allow for a lot of growth in the business sector, which will allow for better-paying jobs, a better overall climate for Oklahoma's uh, working families.
1: Earlier this year, we talked about the fact that one of the problems with maybe cutting taxes is the part of getting the stimulus money was states couldn't cut taxes because they couldn't use the stimulus money to basically fund income tax cuts.
2: Is there going to be an issue with this? I don't. You know, the the federal government's come back with clarification on that. I think that the the state probably won't face any sort right. of uh, retribution from from the federal government uh, in in terms of you know cutting taxes and receiving the stimulus dollars. Um, I'd be surprised if that happens at this point.
1: The State House passes a bill designed to reduce the notorious waiting list for disability services in the state. House Bill 2899 does this by banning new Oklahoma residents from in-home disability services until they've been living in the state for five years. The measure has stirred a controversy from some. Ryan, what's the problem with this budget bill?
2: Well, you know, I think that everyone uh, across the board can agree that the waiting list that we have for disability services in Oklahoma for, for children and adults both, is shameful uh, and and something that, you know, we should have fixed yesterday. I mean, this is this is a real stain on, on the state and, and our commitment to helping the most vulnerable of our, of our neighbors. And um, so I think that we can all agree on that. I think that this is a well-intentioned bill to try to get at that issue. But if you look at the language of the bill, I mean, the bill's author said that he hoped that at some point uh, there would be a waiver, uh, that the health department create a waiver for folks that moved here because of job relocation or military service. Um, But there's nothing in the bill. I mean, the bill creates a hard requirement that you be in the state for at least five years before you're eligible for this waiting list. And what that could do is create an issue where, you know, the most individuals that have the most critical needs, uh, in particular children, uh, could be in a situation where they wouldn't be eligible to even go on the waiting list for five years. That could put them behind, you know, possibly permanently for their life. And uh, I think that that was the concern of the folks that were advocating against the bill, uh, the people that debated against the bill. Um, you saw a lot of emotion on the House floor, and this is an emotional issue. You had a lawmaker talking about his own daughter who'd been uh, placed on the waiting list because they, they placed her on the waiting list at 8 uh, so that when she was an adult she might, you know, become eligible for these services. I mean, that's just that's how uh, awful this waiting list is for these families. Even even lawmakers, you know, the most some of the most privileged folks among us are, you know, putting their kids on this list so that they could be eligible as adults. So we gotta we gotta have a fix here. A lot of people see this as a, a broader package of uh, of reforms to the waiting list. Um, but when you look at this language as it is right now, it could create a real issue for those that are most in need.
1: Neva?
0: Well, I think what we have is a bill that uh, directly addresses this waiting list, 5,800 people approximately on this waiting list. Many have been on the list for more than a decade. So I mean, the idea that we may be at a point where within the next year we can fix this problem, uh, that's the real upshot of this. And I think that's what we saw with the House uh, when they passed it. um you know overwhelmingly 78 to 19 and the Senate came in on uh, Wednesday of this week uh, passed it 37-9, and now it's uh, on the governor's desk I mean this is important and I think the points that have been raised in terms of uh, uh, what what happens kind of with the the rest of the conversation yes I think what we'll see is cleanup legislation we'll see more legislation addressing some of these matters uh, uh, probably in the next session but th- there will be uh, no doubt uh, there will be exemptions there will be allowances to be made I mean uh, nothing is going to be so definitive that it's just one and done and this is over and we fixed it and we're uh, everybody else can wait for five years but I think the 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 takeaway for everyone listening is the fact that we uh, see the legislature addressing a long-standing problem and uh, something that I think is great news for families across Oklahoma who have been waiting a long time uh, to uh, see this list (laughs) to see this list reduced to zero.
2: Yeah I mean even even, you know I see problems with this bill but I think that the overall uh, uh, conversation at the Capitol right now is is a very positive one and and I I agree with Neva I think that we're we're maybe within a year fixing one of the the most you know again shameful issues that we faced as a state.
1: The United States Supreme Court is agreeing to hear an anti-abortion law out of Mississippi, which could impact our state. The justices say they will focus on the question of whether all uh, provisions on elective abortions before the fetus is viable are unconstitutional. Neva, how will this affect Oklahoma?
0: Well, I think we have to wait and see. And I think, first of all, I mean, we have the nine-member U.S. Supreme Court now with uh, six conservative Conservative jurists on it, uh, and yet uh, there have been published uh, numerous published accounts that that say that it took uh, uh, more than <laughs> several attempts uh, to be able to get four justices uh, uh, to agree to uh, to move forward and, and do this review. So I think uh, when the court comes back in October, um, we we may see a movement on this, whether it's uh, at the end of this year or in uh, uh, 22 that. That we see something come out, uh, it it certainly uh, is an issue that every state uh, is interested in. Uh, we have conversations, uh, you know, that we read about every day, and certainly uh, Attorney General Hunter, as well as uh, 16 or 17 other attorney generals, have uh, come together uh, and and you know want clarification on, on these matters. And so I think that uh, this is an, uh, this will be something that will be uh, looked at very uh, very seriously nationwide with. Uh, with proponents and opponents uh, depending on which side you are on this uh, this issue it's something that affects uh, everyone
2: right well I'm, you know the, you know the the dynamics in the court that neva mentioned it took months to just get four justices to accept this and um, you know I think that it's it's I think it's unlikely that we'll see the court issue some sweeping ruling that the proponents of these types of legislation in mississippi and oklahoma i mean the the legislation that we've been seeing uh is is really i mean the the folks know that under current case law uh under current supreme court precedent that these things are unconstitutional uh the point is is that they want to create the test case you know they want to have the case that goes before the supreme court uh that could give the court uh, an opportunity to overrule in part or in its entirety roe and planned parenthood v casey uh, the two seminal cases that established the right to abortion uh, in the United States of America under the United States Constitution and so that's the the point of these, these pieces of legislation. Now they've got this opportunity to do that or the court has an opportunity to do that. I think that uh, we'll probably see a narrower or ruling out of the court. That ruling will likely you know, limit abortion rights further in the United States but I don't think we're going to see the, the sweeping uh, uh, overturn of Roe or Planned Parenthood v. Casey And and in large part, not because you you don't have six justices that would like to see that happen, um, but Justice Roberts, uh, Chief Justice Roberts, is an institutionalist. He, uh, more than anything else, uh, he believes that um, the public integrity and confidence uh, in the court's legitimacy as a co-equal third branch of government uh, is a priority. I mean, it's, it's paramount in their decisions. I mean, when we go back to the to the history of the supreme court you know the supreme court can say whatever it wants but the only reason that it matters is because we believe that it matters mm-hmm. uh you know and and the executive branch and the legislative branch and the state governments you know generally go along with it uh and will help enforce the judicial branch uh ju- ju- judicial branches order so the the abortion has become you know one of those issues that you know, threatens the legitimacy of the court uh, on 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 both sides right i mean and so I think Justice Roberts uh, would be very wary to be part of a majority that has a sweeping ruling that could further erode the, the legitimacy and the credibility of the court. You know, that said, we already live in a in a in a nation where your right to abortion, even though it's protected in the Constitution, is still determined by your zip code. Um, and you know, it's I think it's going to increasingly be like that. Unfortunately, for the people that need to access abortion care in this country, it's going to be you know, do you live in a jurisdiction or are you close enough to a jurisdiction that you can afford to get to to access these uh, this abortion care?
1: Oh, um, well, well, I was uh, going to say Oklahoma also passed a law, or the governor signed a law that basically said that if Roe versus Wade gets overturned, that the abortions are flat out illegal in the state of Oklahoma
0: and I think Oklahoma is not the only state to have done that but I think the bigger question that uh, Attorney General Hunter and others have uh, really addressed on the on this on this conversation is the fact that they would like to see the Supreme Court uh, make it clear at the minimum whether or not the laws that are uh, affecting or limiting pre-viability pre- uh, abortions are automatically unconstitutional. I mean, so there will be, I think you're right, whether it's the sweeping uh, the sweeping change or whether it's more clarification, uh, is particularly when we see so many states uh, – in each of each legislative year and session uh, come out with uh, uh, legislation that directly applies to what we're talking about here and so uh, the constitutionality question comes up over and over and over again and i think we may see uh, the high court uh, make some uh, definitive uh, clarification on a few of these matters
1: the Oklahoma County Jail Trust now includes a new leader, new member, and new rules on public comments. Earlier this week, the trust voted former OKC City Manager Jim Couch as its new chairman and welcomed former Department of Corrections Chief Joe Alba to its board. The members also approved a new rule limiting public comments to only three minutes during meetings. Ryan, your thoughts on these new developments?
2: Well, you know, uh, I don't ag- always agree with Joe Alba uh, but Man, I like the guy. You know, he is just, uh, you know, uh, a wellspring of of integrity and and uh, uh, policy making through candor. Uh, I mean, he, you know, when you look at his his tenure, but I especially looking back at his role uh, at the director of the Department of Corrections, mm-hmm. um, you know, he was he was politically unafraid, uh, which I think is is a rare quality in, in in public servants these days. And he he didn't, you know, he was going to do what he thought was right. So I think that he will be. Uh, an important voice. It'll be interesting to see where his criminal justice reform uh, background, you know, where that's been, over, you know, since in his hiatus from, from DOC. I mean, he was a strong supporter mm-hmm. of reform efforts there. I think that that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out there. I, I agree with Commissioner uh, Kerry Blumert that there should have been a, a bigger search process. Um, you know, as much as I like Joe Alba, and he may have, you know, still risen to the top, you know, uh, there's a the you know, local activist Jess Eddy. You know, made the recommendation that maybe the jail trust should have considered a formerly incarcerated person. Uh, you know, whether that was you know somebody in a, in a state prison or a state or in the Oklahoma County Jail. Again, reminder of folks, jail is pre-trial detention so it's almost always for people that haven't been convicted at this point and uh, and prison is where you go after you've been convicted after you've been found guilty so um, you know somebody that's formerly incarcerated there are some opportunities for the jail trust to kind of expand the diversity of voices and experience there and they just didn't take that so and then the three-minute uh, rule uh, incredibly disappointing I, I think that you know the jail trust should be an opportunity for people to hear from the community you limit that to three minutes If you look at the condition of our, our county jail, I mean, you're just getting warmed up at three minutes.
1: Neva,
0: well, I, I agree that Joe Albaugh is a great addition to the uh, uh, to this uh, jail trust because of the very reason that Commissioner Calvey said that he's the he is the person that will now is now serving on this uh, 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 trust that has the most experience. And w- what better guy to have than someone who has uh, been the head of DOC, someone who has extensive management experience, a career of public service. Uh, uh, as well as experience in the private sector and I think when you look at uh, his tenure at DOC I mean we we think about the fact that you have uh, someone who dealt with overpopulation who dealt with staff shortages who dealt with uh, uh, every kind of uh, facility and maintenance uh, problem imaginable so uh, he's he's now sitting on a trust that faces all of these same uh, questions with the uh, with the with the county jail and so hopefully we'll see uh, some positive movement in a Allowing this trust to uh, take on the conversation and address uh, what you know the big things that need to happen, and I think uh, in terms of the three-minute, um, the three-minute rule, we see this on boards and commissions uh, all the time. I mean, this is not uh, something that's isolated just to this particular. Uh, 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 jail trust authority it is something that allows for decorum it allows for an opportunity for people to speak but in a way that if they don't follow the rule uh, they can be removed and you have to have an orderly climate uh, to be able to conduct business and so to allow uh, meetings to just be hijacked by uh, individuals who will not be uh, will not uh, adhere to any kind of decorum will not adhere to any kind of rules uh, is untenable for folks that are trying to uh, uh, trying to do the business that they've been tasked to do. So I think that was unfortunately uh, the uh, the culmination of many months of uh, very challenging meetings. And hopefully now with this change, with a new chairman uh, in place, the former uh, city manager, uh, Jim Couch, uh, at the helm, that they'll be able to move forward and uh, tackle the problems at hand.
1: And even Ryan's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff, or management.
0: Programs like
1: this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at KOSU.org.